Hi, everybody. Hey, welcome to uh, River Glen. Great to see you. And uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy weekend to uh, join us here. We're continuing in this series called Hope Rising, talking about what does it mean uh, to have hope. It's more than crossing your fingers. It's more than wishful thinking. And we've been learning how does God bring hope into our lives. And today what we're going to talk about is what do you do when you're unhappy with the hand that you've been dealt? And I don't know if you can see, but I've got like the world's largest deck of cards up here. And uh, this is for people like me that need reading glasses. I can see these just fine and uh, no problem at all. Now, you know, probably all of us have, have played card games, right? I mean, card games appeal to all ages. Uh, when, when, uh, when we're kids, many of us probably played Go Fish or uh, Old Maid. How many of you played Go, Go Fish or Old Maid when you were a little kid? Yeah, yeah, very, very common. I had uh, two older brothers. I have two older brothers. And when I was a little kid, they taught me this game called 52 Card Pickup. Yeah, anybody know that game? You know, if you don't, bring a deck after the service. I'll show it to you. Yeah. Uh, and then kids get older, and there's Uno and Spoons. How many played Uno? Spoons? Yeah, very popular games. And then uh, poker is very popular for adults. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on uh, who plays uh, poker, but I know there's a lot of poker tables, a lot of poker going on in basements and in uh, garages. We don't play poker, uh, but we play a lot of card games at our house. Probably the, the, there's one card game that's by far the most popular in our house. My wife loves this game, and she's gotten other people started on it. The company should give her a uh, commission on this thing. Anybody here, have you ever played the, the game Ticket to Ride? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. And uh, my wife and, and kids, I play sometimes. They play a couple times a week, and there's always lots of yelling and, and, and laughing. Probably the second most popular uh, card game in our house is uh, Bang. Anybody play Bang? Anybody ever play that game? Whoa, yeah, a couple of us. All right, my kids taught me this game last week, and then they, and they ganged up on me, and uh, I was the first one out. It was just brutal. But uh, card games can be a fun way to connect with family and friends. Now, the reason I bring this up, the reason I bring up card games, is because there's a common feeling that I think we have when we played card games, whether you've played very many card games at all or whether you've played, you know, Ticket or Uno, or Spoons, or Poker, or whatever it is. The hand gets dealt out, and you look at your cards, and they're awful. <laughs> and you say things like, who gave me these cards? Who dealt these cards? These cards are awful. Should I fold right now? Does anybody want to switch with me? We say these things because we get dealt a hand, and we don't know what to do with it. And we feel uh, dis disappointed. Now, even if you've never even played a card game, you know what that feels like. Because life deals all of us cards, doesn't it? Good cards and bad cards. And uh, we know what it's like to feel unhappy with the cards that we've been uh, dealt. In fact, I came across this video of a uh, dog that uh, was disappointed. And uh, maybe this will be a little bit encouraging to you. Take a look at the screens. Food, you know, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So you know, I, I went to the fridge, and I opened up the meat drawer. You know what the meat drawer is, right? Yeah. What was in there? Well, I'll tell you what was in there. You know that bacon, that's like maple. It's got maple flavor. The maple kind, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I took that out, and I thought. Yeah. I know who would like that. Me. So I ate it. Oh no. You kidding me? Nope. Not kidding. You know, I also noticed there was some beef in there. Yeah, you know, steak, you know, juicy. Well, I ate that too. 
<laughs> but I went back to the fridge just a few minutes ago, and I put something together really special. You're going to love this one. I took some chicken. Yeah. I put some yeah, I yeah. put some cheese on it, and I covered it with... Covered it with what? I covered it with cat treats. Yeah. Then guess what? What? I gave it to the cat. <laughs> All of us can probably relate to the uh, disappointment of that fine animal right there, right? And, it, and uh, you know, it may not have been bacon, but that'd be a lot. But maybe, maybe it was something else. All of us have felt disappointment with the cards we've been dealt. Maybe you felt like you were uh, dealt a bad hand with the family that you were born into. Or maybe you, you, you feel like you were dealt a bad hand with your, with your physical health and the anxieties that you deal with or the depression that you fight. Or maybe you felt like you were dealt a bad hand based on the job that you lost and the people who took it from you. Or maybe you felt like you were dealt a bad hand with the person that you married because they're not the person that you thought they were. All of us know what it's like to feel disappointed with the hand that we were uh, dealt. So how do you find... Hope rising when you feel like that. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, and uh, we're going to look at several scriptures. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to Genesis chapter 29, right in the front, first book of the uh, Bible, or you can just follow along and read the scriptures on the uh, screens. And today we're going to talk about the story of a family that suffered through a lot of bad cards. And through their story, we're going to learn how to find hope when we feel unhappy with the cards we were uh, dealt. Now, when, when you walked in, I think you were given a card. Would you go ahead and, and take that out? I think you were given a, a playing card. And this is like a little object lesson for you. I want you to hold on to this as I go through the cards that this family was dealt. And if you think to yourself, that's a card I've been dealt, I, here's what I want you to do. If you're so bold, I want you to write that on your card. Now, you may not want to physically write it because other people around you might, might see that. So you can just imagine that it's there because all of us have at least one or maybe even several of these cards. And so let me go ahead and give you a little background of the family we're going to talk about today. And I think it would give you some perspective to see their family tree. It starts off with this guy by the name of Abraham. And uh, you may have heard of Abraham before. He's a pretty big deal in the, in the Bible, especially in the first part of the Bible. God... Uh, God sends a redemption plan to the world through Abraham. And then Abraham has a son by the name of Isaac. And then Isaac has twin children by the name of Jacob and Esau. And there's a lot of tension, a lot of conflict between Jacob and Esau that I don't really have time to get into right now. But Jacob is a part of the family that I want to talk about today because Jacob starts a lot of dysfunction into the rest of his family. You see, Jacob and Esau have trouble getting along. And so Jacob leaves. And he goes to live with his, with his uncle, which is where Jacob will receive this first card that gets handed to him. And uh, I'm going to call this the dysfunction card. And uh, you might think there's a, a, lot, a lot of dysfunction in your family, but wait until you hear about Jacob's family. Jacob goes to work for his uncle, and he falls in love with his uncle's daughter, and uh, that would be uh, his cousin. And no, this is not Kentucky. All right, that would be his sister. Um, I lived there for a long time, I can say that. Uh, he falls in love with his cousin, and her name is Rachel. And the Bible really only tells us one thing about Rachel, that uh, her older sister is named Leah. Take a look at what it says here, how the Bible describes these two sisters. It says, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure, 
and was beautiful. The Bible's pretty just straightforward, isn't it, about how Rachel is, is, is more attractive. I don't really know what weak eyes means. Leah had weak eyes. I don't know if she had poor eyesight or maybe she was cross-eyed or maybe she had a unibrow. I don't, I don't really know what's, what the deal there is. But Jacob was really in love with Rachel. He was captivated by her, and she was just drop-dead gorgeous. And so Jacob goes to his uncle. His uncle's name is Laban. And he says, Uncle Laban, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, that's fine. But you are going to have to work seven years to pay for her, to marry her. Now, maybe you waited, I don't know, six months or nine months uh, to get married. And you thought that was a long time. Imagine waiting seven years to get married. Take a look at what the Bible says about this time of waiting. So Jacob spent the next seven years working to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong, look at this, that it seemed to him but a few days. Probably the most romantic verse in the Bible uh, right there. Kind of sounds like a country music song, doesn't it? You know, seven years for just like a few, a few days. And so uh, Jacob begins to work seven years to marry his cousin Rachel, but then it gets really dysfunctional. Um, you know, Laban had said, yeah, sure, you can marry Rachel, but when the wedding day comes... Laban substitutes weak-eyed Leah for uh, bombshell Rachel, and so Leah is up there at the altar, and Jacob doesn't even know it. You're wondering, how in the world does that happen? Well, back then, weddings were a lot different. They, got, they had weddings at night. Uh, they did them in a wedding chamber, and brides would wear a face veil to conceal their identity. And the next day, Jacob, you know, wakes up, and he thinks that he's in the middle of a bad Bradley Cooper movie. And he goes, oh, my goodness, I've married the wrong person. And then Jacob goes back to his uncle Laban, and Laban says, well, you know, you got to marry the older sister first. And so, so Jacob has to work another seven years to finally marry the woman of his dreams, Rachel. And then life seems good, except for one thing. He's got two wives, and uh, that's never a good thing. And uh, he, he not only has two wives, his two wives are sisters. Yeah, and so long before that show on TLC, uh, these are the first sister wives right here in, in Genesis. This is kind of starting to sound like the Jerry Springer show, isn't it? And then his two sister wives both struggle with infertility, and they, and they feel sorry for, for Jacob because he, get, because he can have more children, and they say, here, Jacob, take our servants for your wives as well. And so a few years later, get this, Jacob now has got four wives and 10 kids, but none from his beloved Rachel. And you think Christmas is difficult with all the homes that you've got to go to? Imagine four wives and 10 children. Well, then finally, Rachel gets pregnant, and she gives birth to uh, Joseph, and Joseph is born into this dysfunctional mess. Uh, back to our family tree. Joseph becomes not just one of the sons of Jacob. He becomes the favorite son of uh, Jacob. Take a look at what the Bible tells us about this. Now, Israel, uh, that's Jacob, that's another name for him, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. Now, maybe you've heard of this before. It's also referred to as a coat of many colors. And that society, and that ancient society, they didn't have very many colorful, ornate fabrics. But uh, Jacob gives Joseph a colorful coat. And it's clear to everybody else in the family that, that Joseph is his favorite. This would be like you giving one of your kids an iPad for Christmas and uh, all the rest, socks and underwear. I mean, you can just sense the dysfunction 
going on here. And some of you know what it's like to have dysfunction in your family. Maybe you were on the outskirts of your father's love because he favored a sibling. Maybe you know what it's like to have lying and trickery and deceit going on in your family. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have family members who don't speak to each other. And so Jacob gets handed this first card of uh, dysfunction, uh, or, or Jacob hands this card of dysfunction to Joseph. And then it's not long after that that Joseph receives another uh, card, and I'm going to call this the card of rejection, because when you're the favorite, not everybody likes you. And his brothers hate him and resent him for it. And so his brothers decide, you know, let's drag him out, out and kill him. But then one of them has enough sense to say, let's not kill him, let's sell him into slavery and make some money out of this. And so they sell him to a group of, of traveling Midianites, and then these Midianites sell him somewhere else. Take a look at what the Bible says here. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And so suddenly, Joseph gets handed this card of rejection, and his brothers sell him into slavery and and then he gets sold again. Now, let me identify Potiphar here. Potiphar works for Pharaoh, and uh, he is the head executioner in Egypt. I mean, it's pretty bad if you get sold into slavery, but it's really bad if you're sold to the guy that wears the black hood. And so Joseph gets dealt a very difficult uh, hand. I mean, imagine the emotional side of what he goes through here. He's lost his father's love. His brothers hate him, and they sell him into slavery. And now Joseph works as a slave for the head executioner in Egypt. And some of you, you know what it's like to have the rejection card played in your life. Maybe you grew up with parents who just didn't show a lot of affection for you. Or maybe you grew up and you saw the in crowd at school, but you never really felt like you could get into the in crowd or maybe you know what it's like to have your spouse say to you, I love you, but I'm just not in love with you anymore. Or maybe you know what it's like to have your children grow up and, and leave home and not contact you again. Or maybe you know what it's like to have your employer say to you, we're going to go in a different direction. You know what it's like to have the rejection card played on you. And so Joseph feels completely alone and rejected, but he decides to do something interesting here. And this is where we see the first glimpse of how to deal with it when you, when you feel like you've been handed a bad hand, dealt a bad hand. Joseph decides to make the best of it. He decides to bloom where he's planted, kind of like the graphic here for hope rising. He decides to learn the language and the customs in Egypt. He decides to work hard and do his best as a slave uh, working in Potiphar's household. And as a result, we learn something about Joseph that's going to be instrumental for all of us to understand how to deal with a disappointing hand. Take a look at what the Bible tells us next year. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of Potiphar, his Egyptian master. Now, let me, let me just stop right there. And uh, notice this, this phrase here, the Lord was with Joseph. And I think the question on all of our minds is, how was the Lord with Joseph? Uh, because his brothers have rejected him and sold him into slavery. He works for Dr. Death in Egypt. It sounds like the Lord is far away from him. It sounds like the Lord has left, left the house. You know why we tend to think that? Because we have a tendency to let circumstances define our faith. We have a tendency to let the hand of cards we've been dealt define our faith. And many of us are probably doing that right now. 
Maybe some of you here have been without a job for a long time, and it's beginning to affect your faith. Maybe you've got a child who's making bad decisions, and you've prayed and prayed and prayed, and it doesn't seem to be helping, and it's shaken your faith. Some of you, maybe you're in a marriage, and it seemed good, but now it seems bad, and you've prayed about it, but it hasn't changed, and your faith is wavering. We tend to let our circumstances define our faith, but let me push on you as I push on myself on this, because I think we all tend to do this. You know, there's something a little bit selfish about allowing circumstances to define our, our, our faith. Let me give you an example. You know, when we hear about bad things, like we heard today, we hear about bad things in the news happening around the world or around the country, maybe a hurricane or maybe a tornado or maybe a tsunami or an earthquake on the other side of the world that wrecks thousands of lives. Here's what we do. We feel bad. We feel sorry. Maybe we pray. Maybe we send money. But for most of us, it doesn't wreck our faith, does it? In other words, when something bad happens to you, I pray. When something bad happens to me, I doubt. It's almost as if I lose faith in God when I'm dealt a bad hand, but not when you are. And that's why this phrase that we're looking at here is so important when it comes to dealing with a bad hand. This phrase gives us the big idea that we're working through in this message today. And here it is. If you believe God is ultimately in charge of the cards, it'll change the way that you play them. Because the truth is that God is with us, you know, during the good cards and during the bad cards, during the good times and the bad. And so even though his circumstances turned bad, Joseph believed that God was with him and was in charge of the cards, and he knew that God would work things out. And so Joseph chooses to trust God while he lives as a slave. And it seems like things are just going to go really, really well for him. But then Joseph gets another uh, card, and uh, this is the joker. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to call this the wild uh, card, because if you've played cards at, at all, you know that the joker's a wild card that you can play any way that you want. And here's what happens. The wife of Potiphar finds Joseph very attractive. It says, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And she's probably a beautiful woman, perhaps a trophy wife married to a high-ranking official and, and also because of the low value of marriage back then, and, and she's infatuated with Joseph. The Bible says she follows him around every day, and this is not, hey, you know, I just met you. Call me sometime. No, this is, I see you every day. Come to bed with me. And that's really the PG version of what's going on here. And for the first time in his life, think about this, Joseph has a card that he can play. I mean, he's had cards handed to him, uh, re rejection and dysfunction, and now suddenly Joseph can play the, the, the wild card. And who would blame him? I mean, his life has been one disappointment after another. And so the temptation for Joseph is to forget about God because it sure seems like God has forgotten about him. And here's the deal for all of us. There'll come a moment when you can play the wild card. Some of you here are single. And, uh, you know, you've been waiting for the right person. And uh, you thought by now you would be married. And, and maybe you've been praying and and trying to do things uh, God's way. And your temptation is to play the wild card. Some of you here are married, but maybe it feels like the passion is gone. Maybe some wives don't feel loved by your husband anymore. And your temptation is to play the wild card 
by flirting at the office or maybe reconnecting with an old boyfriend on Facebook. Some of the guys feel, maybe feel like the passion is gone in their marriage. The wife has put intimacy on her to-do list in between the laundry and the dishes, and the intimacy is just not good. And so he uses that to justify playing the wild card and logging onto the computer and looking at images and meeting his needs that way. All of us have moments to play the wild card. But here's what we learn from Joseph. If I believe that God is ultimately in control of my cards, then it changes the way that I play the game. And Joseph has to decide, what will I do with this wild card? Take a look at what the, what the Bible says that Joseph decides to do. Here's what he says to Potiphar's wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, I can't do this. Your husband would kill me. Or I'm saving myself for marriage. Because he doesn't know if he'll ever get married. He's, he's a slave. That, he, might never, he might never have that opportunity. He says, I would never do that to my God. And he chooses not to play the card. Now, you might think that God would just instantly reward and honor Joseph for his integrity and courage. But instead, Mrs. Potiphar gets offended, and she hands Joseph another card, and uh, we're going to call this card injustice, because here's what, she do- here's what Mrs. Potiphar does. She tells her husband that Joseph tried to rape her, and he gets thrown into prison for something he never did. You know, now sometimes we do things, and uh, you know, we deserve the consequences, but sometimes you didn't do anything wrong, and you get injustice. You took the high road, and somebody, you know, dragged you down into the mud. You did the right thing, and you end up losing your job. And Joseph finds himself in a place where he did the right thing, and he ends up in prison. And Joseph has to make a choice. Am I going to continue to trust that God is in control of the cards, even though God seems inactive? In my life, or am I going to try to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to, you know, whine and complain? And it's at that point that Joseph gets dealt another card, and uh, I'm going to call this the waiting card. Because Joseph doesn't go to prison for a week, he doesn't go to prison for a month, he goes to prison for 10 years. And in prison, he just continues to be the best God following person that he can be, so much so that he wins the favor of other people. Look at what the Bible says. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Several things happen in prison. Joseph interprets dreams for a couple other prisoners. One of them is a cupbearer who gets released while Joseph stays in prison. And the cupbearer promises Joseph, I will tell Pharaoh about you. But he forgets. Fast forward a couple years, and Pharaoh has a dream that bothers him, and he can't figure it out. He calls the wise men of the land to him, but they can't interpret the dream either. And it's at that moment the cupbearer remembers, hey, there's a kid named Joseph back in prison who interprets dreams. And I like this next verse. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. Now, I know it says quickly, but I don't think it felt quick. To Joseph. Remember, he waited in prison for 10 long years. Here's something you need to understand. Hope rising usually involves a great deal of waiting. You know, it's just the way that God works. You know, for example, last weekend, Michael and Camille uh, Francis were here. 
shared their story uh, with us. And those of you that are here, you may remember Michael spent about 10 years in prison. And during that 10-year period, 29 months of that 10-year uh, period, he spent in solitary confinement, little, little cell, just a bed and a, and, a, and a desk. But God used that period of waiting to change his life and to change his family. And now Michael reaches thousands of people with the message of Jesus. And so whether you're single or in a bad marriage or financially stressed, remember that, that hope rising, it often involves a lot of waiting. And so after Joseph waited 10 years in prison, they grab him, they shave him, they clean him up, and they take him into the courtroom of Pharaoh, the leader of the free world. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, can you interpret my dream? And this is the moment that Joseph has waited for all of his, his life. But look at how Joseph responds. He says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires, to which everybody in the courtroom said, no, in slow motion to Joseph. Don't bring God into this. Do your best. Make something up. Interpret the dream, but don't start talking about God to a person who thinks they are God. But here again, Joseph believes that if God is ultimately in control of the cards, then I'm going to play the game the way that God wants it played. And Joseph says, I'm going to let God do this one. And God begins to uh, tell Joseph, to speak to Joseph, and he begins to interpret this dream. He tells Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of good times and good crops, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph tells Pharaoh a plan on how to take care of the crops, and he tells him how to store up the grain so that he can feed the people that are around him. And take a look at Pharaoh's surprising response to Joseph, Joseph's interpretations. It's one of the coolest statements in all the Bible. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? In other words, Pharaoh saw something in Joseph. The same thing that Potiphar saw, the same thing that the prison warden saw, and a lot of other people saw. Pharaoh saw the Spirit of God. In Joseph, because when you live your life as if God is in charge of the cards, it changes the way that you live, and other people notice. Let me ask you this the people in your life, your family, your friends, your co workers, when they see the way that you deal with the hand that you've been dealt, would they look at you and say, That person has the very Spirit of God in their life? Or would they say, That person has a spirit of bitterness? That person has a spirit of selfishness. That person has a spirit of gossip. That person has a spirit of anger. But when Pharaoh looks at Joseph, he says, I see the very spirit of God. Not long after this, Joseph's going to get one more card. And this comes from God through Pharaoh. Take a look at what Pharaoh says here. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only res with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Here's what Pharaoh says. Joseph, you're now second in command, and I am going to look to you for guidance. Now think about the, the journey of Joseph here. I mean, think about all the cards that he's been dealt, dysfunction, dysfunction and rejection, 
and injustice and the, and the wild card and, and, and waiting. And then, you know, the Lord was with him in prison. And then in an instant, God gives him the ace. And God elevates him all the way to the number two leader in Egypt, the, lar- the greatest country in the world at that time. Joseph had waited his whole life for this moment. All right, here's what I want to ask you. How do you deal with the hand that you're dealt? Because the way you deal with it has everything to do with whether or not hope will rise in your life. The truth is that if we believe that God is in charge of the cards, if we believe God controls the deck, it changes the way we play the game. And you know what I, I, I see in Joseph? I see a big difference between agreeing and trusting God, okay? Because I know there were times where, where, where Joseph didn't agree with God, didn't understand God. Joseph didn't like what God was allowing to go on in his life, but he still trusted God. And some of you right now, maybe you're holding a card of injustice. And it's hard to agree, but you can trust. Maybe some of you are holding a card that's, that's waiting, and it seems like you've been waiting a long time, and... It's hard to agree, but you can trust. Or maybe you're holding a card of dysfunction or rejection, and it's hard to agree, and, and, and maybe doesn't, God doesn't even expect you to agree, but you, can attru- but you can trust until one day it makes sense. And I think of the example of, of, of Jesus. Even Jesus didn't like all the cards that were handed to him. You know, it says on the day that he was arrested, he went to a garden to pray. He prayed fervently. He prayed three times, asking God to remove the cross from his future. But God still handed Jesus that card. And Jesus trusted the dealer. And eventually, it made sense. It made perfect sense. Here's a great verse, I think, that summarizes the life of of Joseph and and the life of Jesus and helps us find peace and hope rising even when we don't like the cards that we've been handed. Maybe some of you know this verse. It's from Romans chapter eight, verse 28. Would you say this out loud with me on the count of three? One, two, three. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That means that you can look at all the cards in your life, good cards, bad cards, and you can trust that God's going to figure it out. It means that you can trust that God is in control of the deck. And God's going to bring good out of all your cards. Here's what I want to ask you to do as I wrap up and, and we prepare for communion. And, and if you're new to, to communion, it's okay for you to, if you want to take a pass on it. But I want you to know our communion is open to anyone who says yes to Jesus. And it's a great opportunity to affirm our trust in him. I want you to, to think about that card uh, in your hand and what that word is on your card that you've been dealt, that you're so angry about and frustrated about and bitter about. And I, and I want you to just visualize that word on, on the card in your hand right now. And as I pray and, and lead us into communion, I want you to just surrender that card back to the dealer. Let me pray for us. Father, every one of us right now is holding a card in our hand that represents some kind of pain. For some of us, it's it's dysfunction and we're living with scars from our family. 
For some of us, it's rejection, and we're living with the pain of what somebody did or said to us, maybe yesterday or maybe it was years ago. God, for some of us, it's a wild card that we want to play just because it's the only way we think we'll find any happiness in our life, but we know it's not what you want. God, for some of us, it's injustice. We feel wrongly accused. We feel like someone has done something to us that we didn't deserve, or now we're suffering in the consequences of their decision. God, for some of us, it's waiting. We're waiting to see you move in our life, to move in our home, to move in our marriage, in our family. God, it's our desire to be people that believe you ultimately control the deck. And so we want to let you dictate the way we play our cards. We want to be people who, although we may not always agree or understand, we're going to trust like Jesus trusted you all the way to the cross. And as we pause and remember the sacrifice of Jesus, it's our decision to follow his example and trust that you will walk us through whatever bad hand we feel like we've been dealt until we can see hope rising. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.